This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. I'm down to do a quick one, too. I have one final, mercifully, uh, final draft tonight at 7. So I need to prepare a little for that. So I'm, I'm good with a quick one. It's been an exhausting uh, final week before baseball starts. I'm ready for a vacation. There's actually a lot to talk about, though, with like my Niners making a blockbuster trade. Um, I did the League of Leagues draft. We can put that off for another week, though, actually to get into it. Um, and all this baseball and baseball, not just our teams list, but like weirdness, like is the baseball suddenly not as juiced? And then, you know, right. you see that um, that there's a uh, other um, who, who tweeted it, um, you know, Saris also tweeted basically the opposite, it, the, the stuff that he came across, that balls at a certain launch degree angle are uh, 10 feet down from last year at the same with 100 mile per hour speed. So and now even you, Darvish, is talking about a possible universal DH uh, the night before the season starts. So this is just kind of all, all, all absurd. Yeah, I mean, just like the markets, right? It's all about the Fed and whether they're going to print more money and baseball's all about what's really going on with the ball and the DH and the rules. And we're just trying to draft these teams kind of in the dark. And I, I was saying on the radio today, I think it was smart that the heavy, the pitching heavy strategy you did now might be terrible. Like you might have horrible teams, but if it does go your way, if it is a hitter friendly era and only the top, I was thinking like, let's say only the top 30 pitchers are usable and everybody else is using like good middle relievers because Everyone else is like going four innings and getting shelled. That it's not even worth it to try to get a win, and they're not even staying in the game long enough to get enough strikeouts to be worth the ERA and whip it. Well, you know, you might have six of the top thirty starters, and you've got six guys that you can leave in there pretty reliably. So, if it's extreme hitting, like some people are saying, then the pitching heavy strategy might work. Yeah, but at the same time, I may need a bunch more power to contend, and I just simply don't have it. And Eno is basically pointing to the opposite. And, and there's so many variables like weather and, and a lot yeah, of that totally. from one specific Cactus League or something, I guess, area, or a lot of that data the guy used. So so who knows? Um, I, I am go. I did go all in with that strategy, that's for sure. I mean, I even in the main event, I went five straight pitchers. And, man, it is definitely harder to do in a 15-team format than 12-team. I'm certainly sold on that on, on that strategy. But um opening open for some maneuvers in the 15 team but i've gone all in and at least uh executed the strategy better than before um who knows if it works it probably will fail badly but at least i i tried it and i and i did it you know mostly mostly how i I foresaw it like i went ahead and i i planned out drafts and stuff um 
I can tell you didn't quite take it as serious. I heard you talking that you uh, you didn't even use a sheet uh, for, well, for an article. Yeah, it was, well, it was because I was in the country house and I don't have my big monitor. So I have two monitors at my desk and I can like have a sheet on one monitor and then I can be in the draft room on the other one. But on my laptop, it's like, you know, you're toggling between windows that are on top of each other. And I just didn't want to deal with that. Uh, and so I was like, oh, I know the pool well enough. I'll just, you know, fill my queue in between rounds and, you know, in between my picks. And I'll, I'll just remember all the new closers and populate them so they're always there. And I just made some errors. I just forgot about a couple guys. I forgot about Paxton. I forgot about a few guys. So I, you know, I screwed up a little. I still, team's okay. And I'll do another bet. If you want to do another of our standard bet, I'm happy to do it. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. For the part three, yeah, this yeah. the same. same okay. for, yeah, yeah. No problem. Um, but what, it wasn't my best. One other thing I forgot, though, of uncertainty, news breaking today, Liz. Sorry to interrupt you, but the Nationals have a COVID outbreak, too. And am I even going to know who that is by the time this draft starts? I mean, I have <laughs> pretty big time in on Victor Robles. Um, and I mean, I have Scherzer, too. But Robles, I pushed to round five in the main event, and I was going to do it the same in another. But uh, a message named uh, Kremutola uh, pushed him even higher in round f- five. So I had to pivot and uh, my backup plan was getting Garrett Hampson later, which I executed. And now, I don't know, he made like platoon in, in center with uh, Hilliard. So speed is, is tough. I love that, that looking back at the OCs, I got Robles in like round 13. Yeah, in the I got him in 12. Back. I got him in 12 and, and one of them too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now I want him in round five and he's gone. He's yeah. gone. I've been pushing him that <laughs> Well, I, I started it. I, I took him 6-11 in the main event and he's going the eighth. And when I took him... Everybody was like, that was the guy who was like, well, if, if I wait till 7-5 and he's gone, I'll be so mad. So I got to take him 6-11 in the main. And then Rudy Gamble saw that and took him 6-2 in his main later. He was like, oh, he's getting pushed. And then like ever since then, his average pick has been like early sixth. And now in yours, he's getting pushed to the fifth. So I, I like to, I want to think that I started that trend. But a couple things before we'll get back into baseball. I want to get into deep into all this baseball stuff. But I, I had an idea. It, it came to me because, um, you know, I, we get a lot of good feedback about this podcast. I don't know if you saw the feedback I sent you. I passed it along to you from one of our guys who listens. And he owns two restaurants. He either owns or runs two restaurants. Uh, one is called Bistro Poplar and the other Bistro Poplar. And the other one is Ocean Odyssey. And they're in Cambridge, Maryland. Now, two restaurants again, Bistro Poplar, Poplar, Poplar probably, and Ocean Odyssey. And Cambridge, Maryland. Probably there's not enough people who listen to this podcast that one of them will be close enough to actually go. But I wanted to mention that because he was just saying that, you know, business is tough, obviously, in a pandemic if you're a restaurant owner. And that the pod was something he looked forward to uh, and just helped, you know, just help him get through. He just felt like other people were talking about the stuff that he was thinking about. And, you know, obviously feel good hearing that kind of feedback. But also I just realized, like, we should have more of a community around the podcast, you know, because we, we hear from so many people. But it just sort of I hear from them, you hear from them separately. So, you know, just like if guys got a restaurant, if you're somehow somewhere in that part of the country, go check it out. Go check out one of his restaurants. And I was also thinking because, you know, when the podcast had, was in, not really in doubt because I was going to fight for it. So it wasn't I wasn't going to let it really die. But, you know, they're like, oh, it's hard to sell advertising because the traffic's not as big as the, the baseball and football. It's not exactly all sports. So if anybody has a product that is, uh, I think, like an Internet product, something that it would obviously not be in one small part of the country, um, I actually think you might, depending on what it was, be able to sell it. Because I'll just be honest, like, you know, we have between 700 and 1,000 listeners 
in a given week, usually a little bit more during football. But a lot of them are hardcore. And it's not just like, you know, I've got a million podcasts that download to my phone that I never even listen to. And that, that I probably count as a download in their traffic numbers. But we get a lot of feedback. Like I think there's a, a large portion of the people who you know, are recorded as a listener actually listen. And I get more feedback from this than anything else I do, even including the XM show, which has, they never tell us, but probably 50, 100,000 listeners. I don't know. So if you, if you wanted to advertise a product that you thought uh, other people who are like-minded might be into, shoot me, uh, shoot me an email, list at rotowire.com. And let me know. I mean, I'm not going to just advertise anything. <laughs> we do have some standards, but I just figure I'll put it out there because I just think like there is kind of a community around this that we haven't really uh, tapped into. Those standards are low, to be sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I, I always appreciate the feedback. And the same here. I agree. I get, I get, uh, yeah, a surprising amount. And disproportionate, uh, disproportionate, to, dis- yeah. disproportionate to even yeah, like say like my Yahoo pods or whatever that I do uh, right. frequently as well. So yeah, no, and it's it's great. So I. I, I always appreciate that, and that's a great idea. Definitely make it like a community. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, I'm gonna I'm gonna start like mentioning people or things. You know, I just feel like just involve the listeners a little bit more. Uh, they realize that they're part of this. So anyway, something I'm gonna just be conscious of. So the first one is uh, check out uh, Bistro Poplar and uh, Ocean Odyssey if you're in the Cambridge, Maryland area. I don't know if they're good. I've never eaten there. He did say. But I have to come with you, unfortunately. So it's a deal breaker. He said, if I bring you, <laughs> he'll treat us to a feast. This guy Ian, oh, yeah. he'll treat us to a feast, and you know, you know, if we're in that area, so I said, oh, you know, I'll take you if I'm there. If I'm anywhere near there, I'll definitely. And he was, and the reason why actually he got back to me is because we were talking oysters, and they sell a lot of oysters. They serve oysters. He told me I can leave oysters in the fridge for up to like a week or so, a lot longer than I thought, so I don't have to like shuck thirty six oysters and eat them all that night. That's when, that's, right. when he, that's what he was responding to initially. So. Anyway, that was, I thought nice. that was cool. But we can go back to baseball. I have a couple other things, too. But um, we can talk more baseball. So we, so we had this uh, beat Chrysalis 3, right? A, you and I, you picked uh, – we talked about it the, you know, before it happened last week. It's Friday night. And as I said, like I, I made some errors. I mean, I still like my team, but I, there are a couple of picks I regret and a couple of guys I just flat out missed. But still, you know, whatever. Sometimes, like, you, you think you make an error and it's actually a good pick, and you think you make a good pick and it's actually an error. So I'm not going to get too caught up in it. I picked third. You picked what? You picked 10th? 10th. Yeah, I always am getting uh, always 8th or 10th in every league. I think 5th tonight is the highest. Um, yeah, I guess in Jeff's I got a 4th. But all the main events, I'm, I'm getting middle. No, Not much DeGrom. I got no DeGrom. But, you know, I never had a chance because the two auctions I was in, one was AL, one was a keeper. And then I've never picked high enough. I picked third, but I thought maybe I would get one, but nope, went first. Uh, so I get Tatis. Who would you have taken in my shoes at three? A Cole. Just Cole. Cole or uh, Bieber. I don't really care either. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean, uh, my strategy is pretty obvious. Right, my right. You here, but yeah. Which hitter would um, you have taken? Yeah. Why, don't, why, don't you, why don't we put it that way? Yeah, so I haven't really looked into them too super close because I've never had to. It's part of oh. the – it's a benefit, actually, that I haven't had to agonize over all those because every time I look – like I was convinced like Soto – is so good. I, I took him in the first round of League of Leagues, uh, by the way, because that's an on-base right, league. Do you, do you know what his on-base percentage was last season? Like 500. It's 490, dude. Yeah. I mean, you even tried to... to I, I, ruined, I ruined it for you, but I didn't ruin it by much. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you can see, but at the same time, I mean, they just might walk him a million times. So, I mean, Acuna had that wrist thing last year, but he plays the most upside. Well, Tatis is 
can't argue Tatis or Betts. Yelich, wasn't he one year removed from going like 40-30 or what, 30, what was it? It was basically 40-30, wasn't it? Something yeah. close to that. So um, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a feel there. Tatis, certainly not going to argue with the shortstop in his prime who could easily be the number one pick, obviously. So, sure. Okay, so you take Bieber, I take Tatis the way back. You take Giolito. I was glad he didn't get Darvish. Because I think Darvish is – I would have taken Darvish over Bieber even. But you took Giolito. That's fine. And then and now he's got Andrew Vaughn, although it's not any worse than Eloy Jimenez. But he's got Andrew Vaughn playing outfield now. But I take Scherzer in round two. Did you consider Scherzer over Giolito? Uh, yes, yes. I, I have Scherzer in other big, big leagues. So I'm, I'm definitely in on him. Okay. So, yes, that, that's strength there. The tier, similar tier. I do kind of like the Chicago setup still there in the central. They should win games. But, yeah, the deep. Yeah. Well, I mean, not like Eloy was good defensively. Yeah, exactly. All right, round three, I take Kershaw, who's been slipping like crazy. People are worried because his velocity's down. Hasn't had a good spring. But spring training is so marginal for these veterans. And I think it's a sucker play to move Kershaw down based on spring training. Yeah, I don't know. Kershaw and Bueller, who I loved, are both velocity slight down and given up like nine earned runs the last couple outings. I mean, I know, it's probably nothing, but I personally let it be like a tiebreaker, like say with like a Woodruff or something. But I could very easily be wrong there. So I let Bauer go. That was the guy who slipped because of the whole uh, pine tar situation. That's another thing. There's so much crazy stuff. We don't know if there's a DH. We don't know what the ball is like. There's like this pine tar thing. It's crazy what's going on in baseball. It's like no one knows. I was like, I don't, I don't trust Bauer with that. Could be a huge mistake that I let him slip. You get Woodruff. Okay, I got Kershaw. You get Woodruff. Way back you get Snell, who I know you got sniped on glass now. But I I think those guys are 50-50. I I actually could have taken Snell instead of Kershaw even. Yeah, yeah, okay, a couple things. So Bauer, uh, I would have loved him in the third. Um, I, I still would take him over over Kershaw, but I get I get the argument for sure. Um, yeah, that's just loaded. Snell is my number four. He's not going to come back to me tonight in round three, uh, pick five. He goes like just before that. That's where I got him in my main. That's so, where I got him, and I was lucky. So, I barely got yeah. him. Yeah, so um, I'll tell you what I've been doing that's just kind of crazy because I love Glass now, and I realize that I just actually have not gotten him in a lot of these, and I didn't get him, and he's just kind of not going, like kind of a weird spot in between if you have a, a late first, you know? Um, Take so him a second. In, in, the middle, in the middle of round two, yeah, because guess who else? Uh, really, my whole strategy is I have not cared at all about pushing up because I often want to push up the next guys around two. So it's really it's interesting yeah. how that's how I've, uh, I've shifted that way but because I'm, I'm pushing Corbin Burns in, in round three too so that that's what I've been doing. I could have taken him in round five I could have taken Burns in five and I just I, I didn't take right. him and these so, 12 teamers no these 12 teamers right. are just so so wild to look at in hindsight so but the thing is that's what happened to me is that like in round five I could have pushed a guy like two rounds I would I was but I got my guys anyway because I was two rounds ahead on like three guys so I'm like basically if I don't take like the ADP round five guy I end up taking a guy who's ADP round 11 basically because I'm getting the same guys in between anyway so I pushed everyone up two rounds what am I really trading him for I'm trading a fifth for an 11th now maybe the 11th is better than the fifth but like at some point you got to regress to ADP a little bit I think maybe anyway round five sorry round four you get Snell which I would have loved to get but I knew he wasn't coming back it's funny no other pitcher got taken then that whole rest of the round till it got to me and I, I took Torres who I take in every league then round five is my first error so I'm happy with the draft so far it's round five, and I'm like, and I'm bummed that Bregman doesn't come back in five because sometimes I get, I mean, four because sometimes I get Torres in five. So I pick five, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, it's either Lance Lynn, who I don't like that much, Corbin Burns, who I don't trust, 
or the other guy was Randy Orozarena. And I just couldn't decide. And I, and then I was like, I could take Robles, who you ended up taking, but I was like, I, I didn't really need it. I had Tatis first, so I didn't really need the speed as much. So I was like, and I didn't know for sure he's leading off. That actually is good. Moncada, I might have taken, but Moncada was banged up. I actually was going to take Moncada, and then I saw the note that we had that he left the game. Yeah. It was you know, probably nothing, and it was nothing, but I had three shares of him already. <clears throat> he's banged up. You know, it just seemed like he no. came one pick to you all the way back to you. Right, one pick. Right. Well, I, I would have taken him anyway, but it was just he was he was he left the game with an injury. Yeah, I was like, I can't do it. So I'm like, uh, Lynn Burns or Rosario. Right I think Lynn. And then I was immediately like, that was a stupid pick. But I don't really like any of the guys. I should have taken a Rosario in retrospect. That's why I should have taken. Anyway, took Lynn. Way back, I'm like, I want Marte and Hira. I get Hira and Marte in the next two rounds. You got Robles, you got Chapman, Robles, and Jansen. So you locked in your closers, five pitchers, and a stolen base guy, basically. I get Matt Olson in round eight. I was happy with that. You get Altuve, who I also like. You get Musgrove. I don't love Musgrove there. He's guy's hyped every year. They hype this guy every year. You should have taken Stanton, I think. Yeah, I think I could, a couple teams I should have I should have taken a stand, but right there I couldn't have. He's in ninth. He's right before. Oh, it was ninth. Okay, right. That's round nine. It's going the other way. So you should have taken. Yeah, I don't love those hitters actually. Right afterward, I mean, I took Alec Bohm the next pick, but yeah, it was a weird part of the draft. Yeah, um, would you have what, taken Stanton if he fell to you that, on that pick? I um I should have in hindsight I'll tell you that much yeah, yeah like it, it, looking I don't know if I guaranteed I would have but in hindsight it's a perfect yeah, fit for the team that you were drafting it was like yeah perfect. yeah yeah I might and he's going to cost like a seventh round pick tonight too and I might even do it just because I'm I, I I passed on him in a spot I shouldn't have in another main event we'll talk about probably next same show tomorrow um but one thing I just want to circle back just uh, not to get too in the details it's just that I generally have a, a very opposite philosophy I I didn't originally come to this this year but uh, how to address closers I've been going all all in very very big draft capital uh, two main events I have Hater in both um, and um. And this one, Chapman and Jansen, um, it may be crazy, but you are doing the exact opposite. You say, do not ever, don't touch a closer in the first 12 rounds. Yeah, I, I think that like, be, maybe if you get the, the elite one, it might be worth it. But I took Zach Britton in round four of the year that he fell apart. I've taken so many closers to collapse early. And they have to do, unless they get like eight wins with their 35-40 saves and the great ratios, they're not as good as a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick that just smashes for you as a pitcher or a hitter. So they they're not as good, and they I think they fail at, at least as high of a rate. And the, you know you do, you do need to get saves, but in the twelve, it's so easy to get saves on the wire. A lot of guys are like on the bad teams; they're not even bid on that aggressively. You know, I got Hector Neris for like forty something bucks in another league. It's just I don't want to pay for closers. I could see it a little more in the main, but even in the main, there were so many guys available late. Yeah, I, I would say definitely I agree with you as far as the twelve. I would pay up a little bit, maybe less. But um, yeah, it's tough. It's just I don't know. I don't really want to start all those committee guys. It just seems hard to me to rely to really use one of your nine pitcher spots on a guy projected to get twelve and a half saves. Oh no, you can't use that. You can't Castillo or Fairbanks. I mean, I, I just no, you can't all use those guys sharing. And I mean, no, it's, but, it's tough. But Greg so. Holland, you get Greg Holland. You get. You get somebody who's full-time. You have to. Ian Kennedy's probably the guy. I mean, just get a couple guys who might be full-time and then use the wire. And you don't, they don't have to be great pitchers, but you just need your saves. It doesn't really matter. 
one thing I'll say about the impact is uh, a thought is if no one's pitching, you know, everyone's on an innings limit, 65 innings is going to be more impactful than any other year. If all the starters are, are capped at 160, that that's at least my thought. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't, you know, I don't know. This is another thing that we're dealing with, right? So we're dealing with this the pine tar bullshit, the juice ball, the DH, and then this like innings thing, which everyone's talking about it. And I don't know how true it is. Let's say there's a bunch of pitchers and they're feeling great and they're pitching great. Are they suddenly going to get shut down because, oh, well, they only had, you know, 70 innings last year. I don't know that they're going to do that. Maybe there's some young guys that they're going to do that for. They were, you know, Sixto Sanchez or one of those, you know, Jesus Lazardo or something. But I can't imagine them doing that for a veteran pitcher who's cruising or cruising along. Yeah, no, I, it's totally a guessing game. Yeah, it's super weird. Not one pitcher threw 100 innings last year. It's that's unprecedented. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. All right, so you get Musgrove. I got I got a Sixto Sanchez. That was a bad pick. It's just like I, I didn't know that he wasn't going to start in the majors, but either way, like he's got great stuff, but the strikeouts haven't been there yet. He's on a bad team. He's not going to have a lot of innings. That was just stupid. I should have taken in the ninth round. I should have taken. Well, I, I didn't take Stanton because I wanted to get Otani. I was like, I'm going to get Otani in this draft, no matter what. So I, I didn't want to take a DH. But I don't know. There's just uh, I've been targeting. I've been targeting the Morton, Musgrove, uh, McCullers, and Dossman. That's that's the range right there, are my guys. And you you jumped all of them with, with Sixto. So and Jeff always jumps them with Alcantara. So you guys you guys love. No, I, I, I don't like I don't like Alcantara, but uh, but I, I like Sixto in theory. But I started right after I picked him. I was like, eh, that was dumb. That wasn't the guy to jump. I was getting like FOMO because I didn't get Lizardo. Who I maybe I could have taken him in the fifth round. I might have liked him better than Lynn. I just wanted one of those like ace possibilities. Anyway, so I love so and Otani I do, I grabbed in a main and it's uh, the blister on the pitching hand, especially someone who went pitching heavy. I'm like that's fine being all t- full time hitter right. because uh, that's what I drafted him for actually. But it's a uh, whatever. I'm glad that I went all in in one league yeah. that I, you know that I'm really going to care about. So uh, yeah, I, I was upset when you got in there. I was actually going to grab him that round. I think. Yeah, so I, I was. That's why I didn't take Stanton. I got Alex Bohm in round ten. You got Marcus Semyon. I get Otani in eleven. You get Wilson Contreras. Uh, I got Josh Bell, who I thought you were going to take because I know you like him. And I was like, I don't really. I never liked him when he was in Pittsburgh, but he did have one that one big year. But I'm like, this guy's in Washington now. He was in a terrible lineup in a terrible park. There's just no way he can fail. I know I'm jinxing it. I was like, of course he's going to rake in that park in that lineup getting out of Pittsburgh. He's going to hit like 34 home runs and have 115 RBIs. It just seemed like an, it just seems obvious to me. Am I wrong? Oh, no, I like Bell. I have him plenty of places just right there. I wanted some Sinzel, uh, like the upside still there, and I was after some bags. And my, my thought with him, and I also – I do have a lot of CJ Crone, but he's going in like round seven in the main event. If I want him tonight, um, his first base really is deep. That, that's my only thought. That's like I got Reese Hoskins two rounds later, and I like uh, Scrubs like Votto and Belt later are my favorite targets. So that's you my only Belt. thought on first base. But I have Bell everywhere. I have Josh Bell everywhere. So how many viruses could Belt have? You know, one season I just traded for him because I saw you drafting him, talking him up. And then I traded Kershaw for him, but as a keeper league, so it was a fifty dollar Kershaw for a four dollar Belt, and I just couldn't afford to keep Kershaw. So I said, you know, any, I'll take any of your guys. And the Browns were like, oh, to take Brandon Bell. And then she was like, what are you doing trading for Brandon Bell? I'm like, he was good. I'm like, I don't know. I'm blaming on Dalton if he's not good. Uh, and then he not only did he he's have COVID. A, he might be a broken man. Yeah, but yeah, he had COVID, COVID and, and mono. You know, I know. Come on. And he'll yeah. yeah, yeah, Whatever. He's totally free in these drafts. Though. Like yeah. even the end rounds of main events still. 
All right, we don't have to go through the whole thing. I, I screwed up in round 16. I took Price when Paxton was available and immediately regretted it. <laughs> he went with the next pick. I immediately regretted it. I was like, ah, oh, what am I doing? Now Price is in a rotation. Of course, I got Gavin Lux. I have five shares. I got him in every league I, that I could that he was available in. I wanted him. Yeah, I have him a lot. I like him. And you got Hampson at 15. Looks pretty good there. I still like, yeah, Hampson for speed. I like Giovanni Gallegos. I think he's going to start as the closer, I think. And if he does, maybe he doesn't give it back. I don't see. That's what I don't like spending a 19th round pick on a guy who's battling four people in a bullpen. Like I don't love that. I mean, Jordan Hicks is throwing 102. I got Alex Reyes six rounds later. I mean, that's uh, I don't I don't love it. Yeah, no, I I, 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 like, I like it though because I think Gallegos could be like the number one closer. You know, I think he could be like closer one. He's good. And the team is one of those teams that you know it's a low scoring, bad division. I got Schwarber because I needed power again. Washington. Ian Kennedy was free. I got Soria, who I hate, but who knows? I think I, you know, so it's just, the closers just, there's just free closers. Like in the last, I got three possible closers in the last 11 rounds. I guess you're also using capital on garbage guys competing in middle relievers. I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know, but there's this kind of I like. I like Trevor Rogers a lot. That was a ton of up, great upside pick there. I like, I like, I don't know. I like starter upside. And my, I got that Mike Miner there. But the thing is like in the, in the 12, like rounds 20 through 30 is just the waiver wire anyway. Like you're just, it's just, it doesn't matter. If you miss, you drop, you get someone else. There's just as great upside on the waiver wire the first few weeks as there is in the last 10 rounds of the draft. So you don't have to worry about missing, right? You're just like trying to catch one of them. If, if like one of my three guys is a closer and then I pick up a second closer, okay, I'm fine. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. We'll I know how it goes. Strategy you're going. I, uh, we'll see how yeah. it goes. I, I, I like drafting Austin Riley that round instead. Like, I mean, that's. I mean, I like the upside of, of him getting a 35 homer guy. I mean, that's Miles Straw might lead baseball in steals. I mean, th- those are the guys I'm drafting at the same time you are. Well, I mean, I got Brian Reynolds who's hitting third and hit you know 314 in 2019. I got you know Mitch Garver hit 31 home runs last time he was healthy. I got Bobby Witt who I'm bummed that he get called up when uh, <laughs> Montesi got hurt. Yeah, Bond to see news breaking day up to he was getting pushed in the into the first round in some mains. Uh man, that's crazy. Uh, uh yeah, exciting. I'm ready for some baseball to start though, man. It's been a lot of uh, a lot of preparation and articles and and it's time to, to play some ball. I, you know, last year wasn't even like a real season either though. So this is kinda kind of kind of cool. Ready. It's gonna be good and then pretty soon it'll be like all all these guys it's supposed to pan out got hurt. It'll be very frustrating. Oh, yeah. You'll make lineup mistakes. There'll be a lot of work for waivers and like the it's sometime in May when you want to just like barbecue with your family and it's gonna be the misery that's really baseball season and it's not fun. It doesn't get fun again until you like have a team in overall contention in like August, July, August. And you start you know, every you're like every day you're like looking at the waiver wire in advance, like seeing what you need. But there's that slog. No doubt. A week from now, I'll be, I'll be saying the, the different, <laughs> different tune. Exactly. Like, this is horrible. It's miserable. I hate every team I have and all that. Yeah, right. of course. All right. So you understand my Niners traded the number three pick, and a, a franchise quarterback is the sickest thing, man. This is the best thing for a team to root for. But if they do all this, I know you're a big college guy. You probably watch about as much as me, but I'm so into this. It's, it's, it's not even funny at this point. But, um, God, if they do all that and trade uh, for Mac Jones, that would just be hilariously silly. But I, they're just not going to do that. That's just FUD out there like the rest of this. Uh, pretty pumped. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting Justin Fields, and I'm so fired up. It's like I, I want to order a jersey now. It's, 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 it's sick, man. I'm so excited. 
you should order the Fields jersey now, and then when they draft Mac Jones, then you can you know sell it as a you can you can uh, you can be our advertiser for the podcast. You can uh, be selling a uh, a uh, Justin Fields jersey that's not a Niners jersey. Yeah, they don't, they all don't age well. Uh, it's whenever you buy a jersey, seriously, sports changes so quickly. I have a, probably have a couple Jimmy G's that I'll need to uh, discard. But um, anyway, Niners, uh, interesting talk of the this, the NFL for the last couple of days, and now the whole the whole draft is I mean a whole month away. So there's going to be so many rumors and speculation and all that. But I've been hitting refresh and, and tr- reading the certain beat writers that I trust more than others, and reading certain tea leaves of which scout went where, why that pro day, and what was their deep ball percentage. Because I mean, dude, like I mean, trading three first rounders for a quarterback like this is kind of important so like i mean it you know pretty pretty important decision it's a, yeah it's big uh it's hilarious because mike clay tweeted these teams if you take away the quarterback have arguably five of the best rosters in the nfl and one of them was the giants and they just signed dory jackson to go with james yeah. bradbury and you know james bradbury was like one of the best corners in the league last year and of course they signed kenny galladay and you know saquon's coming back and this is a good team. You know, Mike Clay's like, this is like one of the best teams in the league if you take away QB. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad the analytics community is coming around on Dave Gettleman as like a troll to which he did not respond. But it's like, what are you saying, Mike? Are you saying that? Because, you, know, you know, Dave Gettleman dodged the Darnold bullet. He drafts Danny Dimes. Okay, Danny Dimes has been a little disappointing, but he hasn't been like you know conclusively horrendous that was, no that was but it was considered crazy over Dwayne Haskins right, right? which was right exactly so yeah. it was a totally the right move relative to who was available and apparently I think it was Scott Baird who said this uh the guy that Gettleman really loved uh was uh what's his name Justin Herbert who's coming right. out the following year and then he would have taken Herbert over all of them. And everyone's like, oh, Herbert's such a reach when the Chargers took him. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, Gettleman's a genius, man. I used to say that as a joke, but, like, he's made good moves. Like, you know, the only Andrew Thomas looks like, you know, hopefully it was the short season. That that one worries me. But, like, yeah. he got Darius Slayton for nothing. He, You know, he, he avoided Sam Darnold. He took dimes over Haskins. He signed Bradbury. We'll see Dory Jackson how well he, he fits in. But, and, you know, Leonard Williams, everyone was mocking that move. And, like, that guy was a stud. That guy was, like, a top five defensive lineman last year. So, I, I feel... Yeah, and Barkley going out with the two season injuries is bad luck, obviously. Yeah, know, like, just one season injury. He, he had a few games he missed in uh, 2019. But, you know, Barkley, when he played, so obviously an elite running back. So, I mean, give me a, I don't care what people say. Give me an elite running back over a bad quarterback any day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, he has definitely got got a hard time. In hindsight, he certainly didn't deserve it, and uh, I know you've been backing him all along. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is the seventeen games. Do you have any thoughts on that? That's Horrible. That's, I hate that. I hate it. I mean, it sucks for me. It's just like another slog. You know, it's like I don't. We don't no. need seventeen. We got sixteen. We got the playoffs. Two, there's going to be more injuries, and injuries are going to mean you know worse playoffs. You know, look at the Niners. Like that team just got ruined because of injuries. There's going to be more injuries, and it's just. I just don't need it. You know, I think the, the pro sports basketball should be 50 games, two to three games a week. Everybody plays all the time, goes all out. There's no back to back resting or any of that nonsense. Players don't get as banged up. They're not sitting out the fourth quarter blowout so much, you know, 50 game NBA season. NFL should probably be 12. I mean, you know, with plenty of time to ramp up and, you know, maybe two weeks before the first wild card game. And then, you know, one week for each and then two weeks before the Super Bowl. They, they're just obviously they, they want to make more money and make sense from their perspective. But 
I just think the product would be better if there were fewer games. I think this is just going in the wrong direction. It's also a little weird, you know, considering every other year, then you'll have an imbalanced amount of home games. But I guess they're doing it by conference, which makes sense. But um, I would argue more football, but I don't know if this will lead to even a second bye week, which will be both safer for the players. But then you're talking even more weeks. Of, of too much, man. It's but, too um, much. It's just yeah. too much. I, don't, I just don't need it. I mean, I, I, it's not just the whip. And I used to do 10 and a half hours, you know, on Sunday. I do seven now because uh, I, I mercifully watch the games on Rewind. But. Dude, I'm too old to be sitting on my couch for ten and a half hours straight. You know, it's even seven hours. I'm just like stretching, like, Ugh. and I, it's my job. Like, you know, if I were just a fan, I, I might watch the early games and then go outside. Or, well, it's evening here anyway, but you know, do something else for a while. But like, I'm just like glued to it, and I just don't need another week. Whatever, it's one more week. Obviously, my job is I could be breaking, breaking rocks on a prison crew or something. But like, I just don't. I, I have no interest in the last game. I can understand that from your perspective and, frankly, from most. But when you get one more free week to watch Justin Fields sling it around Santa Clara, I'm all in. So I'm, I'm happy. We'll see. We should make it 20 games. We should make it 20 games at Fields. Um, yeah, okay. So that's uh, yeah, that's all the Niners talk I'll, I'll subject you to. Um, what else What else you got? Listen, I know you, you're t- we got to talk some Bitcoin, obviously. Talk a little Bitcoin. I, I went on a rant today on Twitter, and I wasn't going to say anything about this because I'm of two minds. Like, so – Heather has a friend who I've never mentioned on this podcast. I like the guy, but he's a real sourpuss. He's just always complaining about this or that. Not, not ranting like me. Well, he does actually rant pretty well, but he's always complaining. And he opened this bar, and it was a really cool bar, and he's like really good like with wine and food. He knows the stuff. But Portugal, it's hard to do business there. It's hard to do business here. And... Heather, you know, tries to support him and order wine. And now he like does some like wholesale, I don't know, some like wine that he sells in bulk because the bar closed because of COVID. But it's a really cool little bar. And so she tried to like give him some orders and he's like, I don't bother me. I'm too busy. And so he, she orders from like his competitor because like that guy's like, oh yeah, let me send it right away. You know, it's like she's trying to do him a solid, but he doesn't want the business. Nice. And he's just a curmudgeon and he complains about everybody else and how this one girl is doing the Instagram thing and she's this and he, you know, he thinks it's cheesy, but like she shows up and delivers the wine, you know, and it's good wine too. And I was saying to her about this guy, you know, that the thing with him is like, he doesn't really want to succeed, even though he like knows what he's doing and he's really knows the wine. He loves the wine. He doesn't really want to succeed. He wants to complain about other people's unjust success and how everything's rigged and, he wants to complain more than succeed, right? And he, he could succeed because he knows his shit, but he'd rather just be pissed and complain. Like, you say, well, no, how would he rather do that? That doesn't make any sense. No, but like, if you look at what he actually does, he prefers to complain. It's obvious. It's obvious. If you, look, if you judge by what he actually does, you'd say the complaining and feeling, you know, annoyed with everybody and unfairly, you know, put upon is his purpose. It's not to succeed. So I started thinking about myself in that context. And I was like, do I just want to live my life as a free person, a happy person? Or do I want to complain about tyranny and justice and fairness? And I do feel very anxious and, you know, stressed about the sort of government control situation that's been clamping down and the walls are kind of coming in on us more and more. And it really causes me stress. And there's like, I could either just like forget about that and live my life, go to the beach. We went to the beach, even though we weren't supposed to last weekend. A few people were there. It was an incredible, beautiful day. It's like, it's just incredible. It's good sun and fresh air. We didn't get anywhere near anybody. It was just a great day. And I can just live my life and not worry about it until it comes for me. 
But then, on the other hand, like if people don't talk and let other people know, like, hey, I'm stressed about this too. I don't like this encroachment of my rights. You know, then everybody thinks they're the crazy one, and then sort of the media that makes everyone think, oh, well, this is normal now, the new normal, the new normal. Then they think that, oh, everybody agrees with them, and they just give up, and they give up their rights. So it's, you know, to hear other people concerned about the same thing that you are gives, emboldens you and makes you speak up too. So that was sort of the, it was like toggling between those two things. But I was kind of like, you know what, I don't want to get into the vaccine passport thing because it's an emotional topic for a lot of people, and I just, I was like, maybe I'll just let this pass. Hopefully, they'll be inept about it like they were with contact tracing, and they'll just never really take. Anyway, that was my mindset uh, as of this morning, but then, or maybe as of last night, but then Michael Krieger, a guy I followed, tweeted out this excerpt from a book uh, explaining how Nazi Germany came to be. And it was a guy saying, you know, in 1933, we were just like, eh, there's these rules, they're making you do this, and the government's kind of pulling away and doing these, making these decisions on everybody's behalf. And you're not really thinking it's anything that, it's like, that's ah, annoying, like, why are they doing that? But you just kind of go along with it. And the Germans, you know, 1933, they weren't Nazis yet. They were just people in a civilized society. But he described how incrementally, little by little, it, things started to change. And you were in the same, you saw the same shop, coffee shops and buildings and streets that you always saw, but that... The culture from within, the spirit of it had totally changed, and they were a different place a couple of years later. And then all these things, you, you were too complicit after a while in the things you had accepted and not stood up for, not spoken out about, to the point where it was too late. And it's really, it's worth, I, I linked to it on my Twitter, um, at Chris underscore list. And I was just like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to say some shit, because even though it's... Um, I just got to say this shit. And I, I couldn't sleep. I barely slept last night because I was like thinking about all this shit. I was like, I'm going to say some shit. So my point was like the problem with vaccine passports is that a vaccine passport is basically a way to prove that you're not a threat, right? Oh, I, I've got my papers. Like you see, I'm not a threat. I'm clean. I can't give you COVID. So it becomes the burden is on the citizen to prove that he's not a threat for, for COVID, but like, once the citizen has the burden to show papers to prove they're not a threat, that is a horrible precedent because then it's like, well, how do you know you're not a terrorist? Oh, I know you don't have COVID, you've got this, but how do I know you're not you know, subverting the US government? How do I know? As soon as you turn it so the state can suspect you and then it's on you to prove yourself innocent, prove yourself not sick, that's very dangerous. So you, you presume you're dangerous, you're sick, and you have to prove that that's not the case with your vaccine passport. And why are we stopping? And it, obviously, because why would we stop at a, a, a virus that's you know not, it's got a less than a half a percent fatality rate, even if you're unvaccinated? And now there is a vaccine for it. Of course, they're going to keep going. They're going to keep using that pretext of oh well, you're not safe. We need to, you need to prove your safety. The police have probable cause to search that person. You know, did you violate his, his Fourth Amendment rights against search and seizures? He's innocent until proven guilty. These are these are presumptions of innocence, presumptions that the state has to have a good reason to mess with you as a citizen. As soon as you give that up and say, oh, no, no, I'll have a passport. They, they don't need a reason to mess with me. I'm presumed sick until I prove I'm not sick. Once you reverse that process, you will not get that back. And once the government can look into you without any cause, because you're presumed a, a, a dangerous carrier of illness or a subver, subverter of government, then there, there's no going back. And so I just, I really wanted to say that. 
And you know, I, I ended with a Warren Buffett quote. He said, I try to invest in businesses that are so wonderful that an idiot can run them because sooner or later one will. And it's basically the same thing. Preserve your rights, even if you trust, for God knows what reason, this current administration, if you trust them, whatever, because sometime a tyrannical administration will take over. And if you give away your rights, you're not getting them back. I don't trust this one either. But even if, even if you did trust them, you got to preserve your rights for you know the one that you don't trust. So anyway, I went on rant. And you put out a poll. You put out a poll regarding this too, with kind of surprising results, right? I was mostly what I would think. I said, you know, which is better, that individuals are presumed not to be threats to others unless there's specific evidence, in other words, probable cause to the contrary, or individuals are presumed to be threats and must overcome that burden of proof with some kind of state documents or passport. And 77% said it's better if you don't presume they're a threat, and 22.7% said that it's better if you presume that everyone's a threat until proven otherwise. Right. Yeah, well, that seemed a little high, but I guess that's what you expected. Yeah, I mean, my followers, I've, I've weeded out a lot, of the, <laughs> a lot of the people that extreme fascist, like, I, I'm, you know, very much in favor of people getting vaccines if they want a vaccine. You should definitely get one if you want one. It should be available to everybody, obviously. But I just think when you start to say you need a passport to get to the restaurant, you're now making people prove their innocence. And I think it's just incredibly dangerous. I hear you and I, and I agree to, to live with your eyes open and that's scary to look at it that way. And I, and I do love Michael Krieger. Um, but also just, I'd say also, I don't know, don't, easier said than done, but, uh, I don't know, losing sleep over it also could be too extreme the other way too. You're getting all worried about that. This is going to turn into, um, you know, something that extreme. Also, I wouldn't want you to do, do that either. Lisa, I, I would. I don't know, as a friend, tell you too. Also, don't go so crazy that, like, because I know you can really, you're, 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 you know, you can get too worked up over it. Now, I'd also caution that too. You know, don't, don't, don't go that extreme. Also, the other, the other side. I hear you, but like those people in Germany, the guy was saying he deeply regretted not getting worked up over it. Like he saw it happening and he didn't act because he was basically just thinking, like, ah. You know, because each thing is like gradual, right? Each little thing they take away. Oh, you're not allowed to go out of your house except for these hours. Oh, you have to put a covering on your face when you're outside. You have to. Each thing is like, yeah, I get it because it's for the health and I don't want to spread this and nobody does want to spread it, right? I mean, we all want this to go away. We don't want people to get sick. But each thing where the government says you're not allowed to and you comply, you know, I don't know. I just feel like at a certain point it's like, look, again, I think people should take precautions against the virus. I think people should. You know, not want to infect other people or catch a virus. But this, what's actually happening is, is not about that, in my opinion. It's, it's something much more pernicious. And I do lose sleep over it because I feel like, I'm not saying this is going to be Nazi Germany. I'm just saying that we don't know what it's going to be. And they didn't know what that was going to be either. But I'm just saying we have some historical precedent. Um, obviously, Soviet Union was pretty bad. There's been bad ones in Eastern Europe. Uh, there's been bad ones in third world countries, there's, there's a lot of totalitarian societies. It's not like, oh, how, that could never happen. So I don't know that that it does cause me to lose some sleep. It, and, and, and you know what will, will actually help me sleep is just speaking my mind more, even though like, who gives a shit? I'm just some guy with a small following. But just, you know, look, I said something, you know, I, I, I sure you know, like, like I said what I, I, I said what I had to say. And, and then other people who listen might agree and might just think, you know what? Good. I, I'm not the only one thinking this. And then maybe they'll say something. And then maybe enough people say something that when they're like, hey, you've got to show your papers to go to this restaurant, they'll be like, fuck off. No. And then it just doesn't take. You know, I mean, it's, I'm just one person, but 
everybody has some power to influence other people. So, you know, anyway, I, I, I hear you. I appreciate it, but I think I'll lose less sleep. By like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, totally. Not yeah, going, not going long to get along. You. Yeah, you know, to do, yeah. do my meager amount that I can do about it, basically, is, I guess what I'm saying. All right. Oh, gotcha. That makes total sense. And that's all I had. Uh, we'll talk a little Bitcoin. I was going to talk about this book I'm reading. It's called The Alchemy of Air, but I don't want to get into it yet. I just, I recommend it so far. It's a fascinating book. Like, history is so crazy the way things came about that you have no idea about. Like, stuff that, like, the way, like, the, we feed our the population and the, South America in the 19th century and how Europe like just was basically buying so much fertilizer from them by like the tonnage you know, shipping tons of that stuff and the way that came, it's just so crazy the history of so much stuff it's called the alchemy of air it's, it's a it's a good book I'm like halfway through but anyway that was and talking nodes too yeah so uh, I, I actually got a Bitcoin node which you guys can look up what that is but basically the the way in which Bitcoin's resilient is there's tens of thousands of nodes around the world and it's not mining. Mining is, you know, that's that's how you get a reward for certifying the block. The nodes just kind of like keep the whole blockchain recorded. And it was one of the reasons why in 2017 there was that big fight. Um, the, the smart guys who won wanted small blocks, megabyte per block. The guys who lost and started Bitcoin Cash wanted bigger blocks so that they could have room for like all the coffees and be like a medium of exchange right away. Like, okay, we can everyone's coffee purchase can be on the blockchain. And then the smarter guys are like, no, we don't need to be that yet. There'll be second layers. And it's really important to keep it a megabyte per block because that way a regular person with a one terabyte or even 500 gigabyte hard drive can store the whole blockchain and run a full node. If there's tens of thousands of us running nodes, then if the government comes and shuts down anybody, anywhere, some country gets nuked, it doesn't kill the Bitcoin blockchain because there's so many copies of it everywhere being updated. The other benefit is you can check your own balances. You don't need to go to like a third party node. So it's there's privacy involved. You can check your own stuff, which is kind of cool too. So anyway, uh, it wasn't that hard. A little technically challenging, but not really. Just I'm not the most tech savvy. And yeah, I've just heard people talking about running their own nodes, but I, I, I yeah, I did not know what it means. So yeah. definitely something I need to, to, it, to it, educate myself with. It helps make the network more resilient, and it helps, and it it really helps your privacy because you're just checking. It's really cool, right? Like if you get paid, you know, 100 grand, you win the NFBC, 150 grand. And you're like, oh, great, I got 150. Out of what, though? How much? Out of what? How diluted is that 150? Out of how many trillion? There's no way to check. You can't audit the Fed. You don't know how many, how many dollars are being printed every day, how many are in circulation currently. There's no way to know that. But I, I literally, like, I can just check, like, oh, there's this many Bitcoin in circulation. It's just I'm auditing the whole thing, the whole money supply on my laptop. Will they ever be able to? Will they be able to ever figure out how many have been lost? That, that's a question I never hear answered. It's hard to know because, okay, every Bitcoin that existed is at an address, right? So there's public keys with certain amounts of Bitcoin. But the problem is there are some people who have it and then haven't moved it in eight years, and all of a sudden somebody moves 100 Bitcoin all at once. And it's like, holy shit, that hadn't moved in like eight years. Yeah. Right? But like... Until it moves, you don't know if it's at the bottom of the ocean on somebody's rotten, you know, rotted hard drive that'll never be discovered, or if it's just somebody who hasn't moved it. So it's that's what I'm saying. So the answer is no. You can't ever really tell unless someone tell like the the rare examples where someone can tell you that it's it's somewhere in this dump. You know, or I've lost like, basically, right? I've lost some. I, I transferred twenty bucks to try to try something out, and 
I tried to put the seed in and it didn't come back and I put it in again. I thought I wrote it down carefully. And that's 20 bucks when it was at like, I don't know, like four grand. So I, you know, what's it now? It's 15 X. So that's like 300 bucks. I lost. That's a lot. Wow. <laughs> that's like three. And now I'm pissed. I didn't realize that. I was like, yeah, I lost 20 bucks. I lost 300 bucks. That's a, that pisses me off. Uh, yeah, not yeah. as bad as the dude who bought like a pizza for a Bitcoin or whatever that yeah. store is. But the thing is everybody who bought pizza with dollars could have bought Bitcoin with those dollars. Too. Totally. Right. Although right. I didn't know what it was. So I, I didn't really, he knew what it was, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. I would, I'd never like look into, into the note or whatever that is. Yes. Uh, being able to actually audit it yourself anytime you want is a cool little feature there. Uh, that's not and, quite and you're the not, same fiat currency. And you're not exposing, you know, what your holdings to third parties all the time, just to check or to move some or whatever. So it's, you know, I think it's, uh, it's pretty cool and it's not that technically sophisticated. I watched a, about a three hour pod, this guy, Anthony Pompliano on this podcast called flagrant two. And it's pretty accessible for anyone trying to learn about Bitcoin. Uh, I would actually really recommend it pomp on flagrant two. It's a good, good podcast, uh, all around. I thought on, on Bitcoin, but, um, all right, man, cool stuff. Liz. I mean, anything else? Anything to recommend? I put that uh, a promising young woman in, in the uh, title. I did. I did what exactly, I could. Exactly. Exactly. Promising young woman. I cannot give you a hard time anymore. So I was just going to let it be. Um, yeah. So no. That, that's all. I appreciate that. And I'm just fired up for baseball. Uh, baseball finally starting opening day tomorrow. So uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, I have a couple crazy uh, stats. We can. I'll, I'll throw them at you on the XM show. Okay. Same for the XM. We can talk about it next week. Hey. Oh, one thing. One thing I forgot is and a couple people did this and I appreciate this one other thing you can do a couple guys signed up for RotoWire and in the and they put the reason we have like a customer feedback area and they put the reason was the Real Mad Wood podcast and people see that and that's a good thing to do so rotowire.com slash pod it is a free 10 day trial you don't need to put any money in or anything you can just totally get everything for free so if you're into baseball football whatever just do that anyway and then if you do end up paying signing up in earnest after 10 days which you can choose to do then you don't have to cancel there's no credit card bullshit it's literally just you try for free you know free 10 days rotowire.com slash pod and if you like it you pay if you don't nothing happens but when you sign up if you if you say real man would pod that's actually good so I appreciate the couple of you that did that this week, that was nice, and uh, it's a good way to help the pod. So, all right, man, take it easy. All right, later, man.